I'm Kay Firth Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome back to our first episode of the year of In AI We Trust. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by Kent Walker, a leader at the forefront of technology and legal landscapes, currently serving as president of global affairs and general counsel at Google and Alphabet. In this role, Kent oversees a myriad of critical areas, including government relations, legal and compliance work, content policy and enforcement, responsible innovation efforts, and philanthropic initiatives. His journey at Google began in 2006, and his influence extends to the very principles that guide Google's AI initiatives, having overseen the creation of Google's AI principles in 2018, and now chair of the company's Advanced Technology Review Council. Prior to joining Google, he served as assistant U.S. attorney in San Francisco and Washington, D.C., started one of the first computer crime units in the country, and later advised the U.S. Attorney General on technology policy issues. Kent's journey has included executive positions at numerous companies leading in technology and innovation, including Netscape, AOL, and eBay, as they navigated the rise of the web, online communities, and e-commerce, respectively. For all of those reasons, Kent, we are thrilled to have you on our show today. What a perfect way to start the year. We're eager to dive in. Welcome. Miriam, it's a real pleasure to be with you. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, Kent. So as noted, you have a unique vantage point into some of the key issues, I would argue, of our time, working at the intersection of technology, law, and business. Let's start backwards. When did you first become interested in AI, and how does AI influence your current role at Google? As a kid growing up in California and Silicon Valley, I was interested in and maybe influenced by tech. I remember growing up watching Star Trek and that optimistic narrative of what science and technology could accomplish. When it comes to AI, Google's been working on AI for a dozen years. People may not realize it, but if you've been using Google Search or Translate or Maps or Gmail, you've been using AI for quite some time. We've been putting out papers for probably 10 plus years now that have been seminal to the creation of these large language models. A lot of large language models actually come out of search technology. You're trying to search the web, and that means understanding the way language works, synonyms and word clouds and clusters and knowledge graphs and the link between all of these different things. So many of the leading papers have come out of Google research or out of DeepMind, and you've seen that tremendous improvement in the quality of our products as a result. Google Translate used to translate at the level of a six-year-old, and over the summer, we applied AI to it in 2016, 2017, and it suddenly became the level of a 16-year-old. Not perfect, but pretty good. And as we've integrated with DeepMind and the like, we've been more and more in this area. I remember going to meetings around the future of AI in Puerto Rico and Asilomar out here in California in the mid-late teens, as we were thinking about the implications of these technologies. And we've just continued to expand that work, and we're more excited than ever with some of the new developments that are coming down the pike. Well, thank you for clarifying that misnomer. So many people think that AI is the future, but as you indicate, AI is our present. AI is even part of our recent past. It is something that has been living with us and that you've been fueling in in our daily lives for quite some time. And one of your many accomplishments has been, as we noted, overseeing the creation of Google's AI principles in 2018. Can you share with our listeners some background on this initiative? Why did you decide to make it a priority? What do the principles entail? And how is AI safety, how is it changing at Google since the publication? 
Sure. We felt that as being one of the, the leading companies progressing the work in AI, computational statistics, we also needed to be one of the leading companies in the responsibility side of that narrative. How would we and others use these tools to maximize social welfare, to make sure that the benefits were, were widely distributed, that we were using them to progress science and technology? So the AI principles came out of a conversation that we had across the company with getting input and thoughts from, from all of our employees about how best to, to structure this. And then over time, we've developed a lot of internal teams, structures and processes to try and put those into practice. We put out an annual report about how we're doing against those objectives and, and some of the, the learnings that we've had. So we're working across teams that include responsible innovation, trust and safety, research, ML fairness, and, and more. And a lot of the work recently in the last couple of years has been scaling those efforts, integrating them into our company-wide enterprise risk management frameworks, uh, our governance frameworks. And then now, as we're starting to see the executive order in the United States, the European Union AI Act that's, that's coming into, into being, we're, we're focusing on the next chapter of preparing for regulatory oversight and compliance while still building trust, while still staying true to those core principles we lay out in the AI principles five plus years ago. Fantastic. So Ken, thank you for that helpful understanding of some of the core principles. And now to the present, you recently launched Gemini, the largest and most capable AI model Google has released to date. The marketing materials note that Gemini builds on Google's AI principles by adding new protections to account for Gemini's multimodal capabilities. They've also indicated that Gemini has the most comprehensive safety evaluations of any Google AI model to date, including for bias and toxicity. Can you elaborate for us? What do you test for? What have been some of the observations you've made with respect to corrections you've made for bias and toxicity? And what are the safety protocols you have in place to ensure that the end product is in line with Google's values and expectations going forward? It's a great question. And it's an example of what we mean when we talk about being both bold and responsible. On the, on the bold side of that equation, we are very excited about the Gemini era. It's the product of a large-scale collaborative effort that we have from teams across Google, including Google DeepMind, Google Research, and more. We're seeing unprecedented performance against industry benchmarks, and it's, it's our most flexible model yet. It can efficiently run on everything from mobile devices to data centers. It's also built from the ground up to be multimodal. So just as humans learn by more than just reading, Gemini can understand and combine different kinds of information, whether that's text or images or audio or video or computer code. Uh, we're also regularly innovating and, and advancing, so stay tuned for the, the next generations of, of Gemini. But at the same time, the responsibility equation is, is integral to that, and we want to make sure that we, we get that right. So as we've developed Gemini, we've built the most comprehensive safety evaluations of, of any model we've ever launched. That builds on years of work that we've done on content moderation, whether that's YouTube or search or a team called Jigsaw that has built a perspective model that is used by leading newspapers around the world. In the US, it's used by the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, many more to help detect and avoid bias and, and hate speech and bullying on, on comments pages. So newspapers can actually have more comments that don't have to have human moderation all the time. The tool can actually help identify and highlight the, the highest quality content. So those learnings have helped us develop safety classifiers around topics like violence and stereotyping and bullying. 
So for Gemini on top of that, we've conducted new research into potential risk areas like cyber attacks or misleading conversation or making sure that the tools are appropriately discharging the goals of the people that are putting the prompts in. We've applied Google research as adversarial testing to understand and, and minimize the likelihood that things could go off the rails. And we've used third-party benchmarks like the real toxicity prompts that for those that don't know, that's a set of 100,000 different prompts with different degrees of toxicity that were pulled from all across the web that were developed by experts at the Allen Institute of AI. So there's this multi-layered approach. And then of course, increasingly, we're also working with governments to make sure that their concerns are being taken into account and finding ways to share these models with them so they can do testing for safety risks that they may be in a better position to identify. I'd love to dig in a little more on that last point of work with governments as well as responding to what governments are putting out. So in addition to internal governance structures, there are many external levers underway. The EU AI Act, the recent White House AI executive order, the voluntary commitments that you participated in negotiating and announcing with other tech leaders with the White House last summer, as well as other initiatives that have been long underway at the OECD, the group of G7 Hiroshima process, just to name a few. Uh, curious to know how you direct your team to adapt to these protocols. What are you doing to prepare for these developments? And what, in your opinion, should be done right now to promote AI safety with respect to government relations and government actions? Sure. Uh, we, we've said for years that AI is too important not to regulate and too important not to regulate well. So we very much wanted to contribute the benefit of our experiences to the growing government interest in making sure we, we get this right. We've put out several papers around an AI opportunity agenda, talking about not just the AI opportunities, but also the responsibility issues and the security issues. It's clear that we are going to need interoperable frameworks across different countries to make this work even as individual countries have, have different priorities and different areas of focus. So that's gonna require work by individual companies, efforts like our AI principles and our internal governance and review work, work across industry sectors. So we were a co-founder of the Frontier Model Forum, which is a group of leading companies who are coming together to try and establish safety protocols and, and benchmarking, working with, with independent groups like Equal AI or the ML Commons or Partnership on AI to develop benchmarks and evaluation standards. There'll be national legislation and regulation as we've touched on in the US, we have the executive order, which is still coming into being. We're working with a variety of agencies as they put meat on the bones of what the details there look like. The AI Act in Europe will be coming into effect over the course of the next year or two. We'll be working there to make sure that the standards are well-grounded in the technology and appropriate. And then I think it's also very important to have these international frameworks. So the G7 work in particular, or the OECD work, have been very thoughtful in terms of establishing overall high-level priorities that governments that are looking to regulate can, can lean on and develop their own interpretations of within a coherent framework. Because you know, AI is changing the way we do science. It's a change in the nature and it's advanced in the nature of computer science. This is a global phenomenon. This is an international phenomenon, not something where the benefits are going to be limited to one country. So we need to make sure that countries are talking about it in a coherent and consistent way. Absolutely. 
And in addition to the need for the interoperable frameworks internationally, you've also raised another important point. I was struck by your comment in the Council on Foreign Relations blog last October on the need for new social norms to establish important benchmarks and clarify guardrails, drawing parallels to genetics research, and you propose a similar model for AI research. Why are such norms important? Obviously, we are converted here at Equal AI. We think it's tremendously important, particularly at a company like yours, where it's estimated there are 99,000 search queries processed every second, 8.5 billion searches daily, and that doesn't even touch on Gmail and BARD and Gemini and all the other products. So in addition to those government regulations we're talking about in the interoperability, can you tell us more about your thoughts on these norms? What do you hope is implemented as a social norm? How would that happen? Sure. I think there are layers of this. As you say, at the, the development stage, you want to be focused on doing this in a way that is advancing some of the core principles. We talk about privacy by design. We also want security by design. We want to have responsibility by design. And that goes into the creation of the products from the get-go. Just one example there, there's been an article recently about the notion of the Turing trap. If we fall into the trap of designing AI to replace human activity, that could actually exacerbate job displacement and the like. Instead, we want to design in a way that complements and makes people more productive than they are now. So they become more valuable employees and it frees them up to do more creative things. So on the developer side, I think that's going to be extremely important. On the public side, I think understanding these new technologies will also be important. So people recognize that AI deepfakes and the like are out there as a risk. When you see the, the Pope in a Balenciaga puffer jacket, you know that that may not actually be something he wore. And as we get into a political season in 2024, that understanding is going to be very important. And then, of course, this is a unique technology in that so much of it is coming out of the private sector. We are going to need unprecedented public-private collaboration across a whole variety of different areas. I'm glad to see there were some early calls for licensing of every use of AI, which honestly didn't feel as, as well-grounded as they could have been. But the conversation now seems to be much more focused on risk-based analysis of the different tools, sectoral regulation and review, the issues for Artificial intelligence in banking are very different than they are in retail or in agriculture or in pharma. And developing the principles in each of those different areas, drawing on our decades of experience, I think is going to be extraordinarily important and valuable. Absolutely. And to that point, needing cooperation and collaboration across government, company, and civil society as a primary basis to achieve responsible AI, we have an opportunity with the 54th annual meeting of the World Economic Forum in Davos coming up. I'll look forward to seeing you there with over 100 other governments and a thousand other forum partners participating. So coming out of that, what do you think would be the best outcome? What would be the best use of your time at Davos? And what do you hope we see as announcements coming out of Davos with respect to AI policy research or deployment? The World Economic Forum is going to be a great opportunity to talk about how AI can be a great equalizer. We're already seeing tools that are developing real-world opportunities and, and tackling real-world issues like climate change and scientific breakthroughs at remarkable speed. I was back at the UN General Assembly and we were talking about how AI can actually dramatically improve the, the world's progress against the social development goals. So I think that's going to be a, a key area. We've been tempted to fall into the notion of AI as a chatbot, 
in a sense, that's the least important part of what these tools can do. They are really changing the way we are progressing science and technology. And there, there's a lot of excitement in the business community, with NGOs, with governments, to think about how we can apply these new tools and re-engineer and redevelop what we do and really solve some of these great social problems. Absolutely. And as you're talking about these conversations that you're having, it would be helpful for our listeners to hear from somebody who is so deep in the, in the forefront. What do you see as some of the most significant AI trends in its development and its deployment that we'll be seeing in this coming year? Sure. Already you're seeing greater capabilities. I think you're going to continue to see that as the, the models are trained in new ways. We have new algorithmic innovations to make them more efficient, more effective. Things like sparse models that don't necessarily light up the entire model, but focus in on particular areas. Something called MOE, a mixture of experts, where you have different aspects of the model that are expert in different areas and can work with each other to get better quality answers. I think you're seeing more and more expansion of context length. So the models can look at a larger training set for a particular class of problem and give more refined answers there. You're seeing better and better usage of tools to be able to actually use not just the model, but have the models sit on top of other kinds of software, whether that's a calculator or enterprise customer relationship management system, and draw on the power of our existing tools. And you're going to see all of that in the course of the next year or so. We're seeing more and more of this multimodality, being able to work across text and many other forms of resource to, to make the, the results better. And then you know, maybe most fundamentally, I'll go back to where I was speaking about a moment ago. The innovations we're seeing in science and technology are breathtaking. You know, whether it's large language models or other areas of AI, the AlphaFold example from DeepMind, where AlphaFold was able to analyze 200 million different proteins and understand how they would express themselves, how they would fold that's going to help contribute to our ability to develop new vaccines, new types of medicines and the like. The work we just did with regard to millions of new materials that had never been created before. Now we have to understand which of those materials might be especially strong or lightweight or electrically conducting or whatever else we might want. That could open up a new era in material science and really help us with problems from developing nuclear fission or nuclear fusion to electrical grids to clean water for the developing world. It's an extraordinarily exciting time. Absolutely. And I'm grateful to have this healthy dose of excitement and, and optimism as we start off the new year. And so along that line of thought, I'm going to try out a new final question as we start off our new year. And I'm sorry that we're at our final question because I have so many more questions for you, but out of respect for your time. What I would ask is, looking ahead in the near or long term, what is the AI innovation you are most excited to see come to fruition? I, I think a lot of the things we were talking about, these scientific innovations, will be traumatic. And sometimes they're behind the scenes. People just, you know, without necessarily feeling as though they're using AI, will have medicines that will work better. We'll have personalized medicine progressing much faster than it could have been before. We'll see new drugs coming onto the market in, in different ways. But we'll also see just the tools that you use every day become smarter and more sensible and more personalized and more useful to you every day. So that's gonna be a process that I think will play out over the next few years and then overall adoption, maybe five to 10 years throughout the economy. But the numbers we're seeing in terms of improving global productivity are potentially remarkable, whether it's Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley or McKinsey, you know, the, the numbers are great. So this combination of scientific innovation, new forms of creativity, 
new tools and new applications, I think opens up a, a great new era for us. And at the same time, we have to make sure that we're doing it in a way that builds trust, that we spread the economic and the social benefits widely so that everybody feels bought in to this new generation of, of scientific progress. Well, I'm excited about this new era that you've been talking about. I love thinking about it in that way of scientific rigor and creativity and, and more inclusivity and who gets to benefit and participate in this progress. So Kent, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your insights and we'll hope to talk with you more again. It's been a real pleasure. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible. 